The following is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Dale Jr. download. Dirty mode. Hey everybody, it's Dale Jr. Welcome back to another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. We got an amazing guest for today's show. Uh, this is an interview that was so good, so long, that we broke it into two parts. So part one, Daryl Waltrip is going to be a guest on the Dale Jr. Download finally. Um, we've been looking forward to this for a long time. I got a lot of things to ask DW, so let's get him in here. You know, I'd like to tell you what really happened up there. Looking back at the leader, Daryl Walter. But there was a little turd driving number 15 to run over me. Go, go, go. The green is out. And folks, we're going to boogity, boogity, boogity on into that first turn. The Daytona 500 belongs to Franklin, Tennessee's Darrell Waltrip. He's done. on the headset <laughs> let me get over here I, last time i was watching this show i think hank jr was sitting here yep yeah there's some of my buddies <laughs> from back in the day it, yeah it's so good to see you though oh, i tell you what i dare walter's in our studio look at this what about that how you feeling you good oh i'm great yeah i feel pretty good i i drove i stayed at the ritz last night and i it's like a ghost town yeah yeah. There is nobody downtown. Mm -hmm. I went to a Fleming's and ate dinner by myself. There was one other couple in there. I mean, and the hotel was empty. Mm. I've never been in that place when it was empty. Yeah. You're a talker. When you're sitting at a table by yourself, who do you talk to? Yourself? The waitress. The waitress? Yeah. I'm going <laughs> yeah. to sit down and have a, have a glass of wine or something, you know, and we'll, we'll chat. So that car right there, that Nova, I got a picture of me when I was like, I don't know, 12 years old sitting in the car. And it's probably Darlington or Rockingham or somewhere like that. And I got a lot of other pictures on my phone of that car that raced. I got I got thousands and thousands of pictures of my dad I've collected over the years and many of this car. And um, I didn't know that it was the same car year after year after year back when he raced in the, in the Bush Series. You ran. Yeah. Um, yeah. He had the same car from 84. It was a blue Wrangler car. And he ran it and he painted it good wrench at daytona and one daytona with a blue chassis yeah the wrangler blue chassis was was still there yeah in the pictures and then they put a they had a ventura nose on it they put it they put the nova on there yeah. robert uh, g jr put the nova nose on it and uh got pictures of the car in the shop getting the nose put on it 
and uh, they painted the chassis orange in off season at some point. Uh, when we sanded it and cleaned it, blasted it, we found the Wrangler blue paint on it. <laughs> but anyhow, for like 20 years, I've seen this car in pictures um, at different places, getting sold at Meekum and, and yeah. getting you know getting, yeah. going overseas to that that thing that, that Goodwood, yeah, Goodwood, yeah, running at Goodwood. And I'm like, man, if it's over there doing that, those guys that own it must have done their homework. It might be the real deal. And so it came up for sale at the uh, Barrett-Jackson, and I called Rick. And I said, Rick, I uh, might have to ask you to do me a favor and buy this one car that's yeah. at, the, at the auction. So I called my uncle, Robert G. Jr., who put the body on the car originally. Yeah. And I showed him some pictures of it from the internet and i said is this the car is this the really the car he goes hey it's hard to tell yeah. he's like there's only one way to really maybe i'd be able to tell is if you got underneath it and looked at the drive shaft loop dad made the drive shaft loop in the shop oh my <laughs> and because they went to the racetrack without one and they told him when they come back have one in so he hand made it out of a strap and i remember that yeah um and so sure enough there's a drive shaft hoop uh, under the car and it's not painted it's original and it says on it do not paint because this was handmade by dad and don't don't whoever owned the car knew knew better right than to mess with it while they were it's been restored two or three times i still wasn't tr- trusting that you know if you're gonna spend that much money on something i need more proof yeah right yeah mom was sick with cancer we were up at her house and uh just sitting there visiting her and and me and lw my brother-in-law I said, man, here's some pictures of this car. I wish I had more proof than just that drive shaft loop. You could bolt that on anything. And I got to that picture of me sitting in the car. And in the picture, uh, so I'm sitting in the driver's seat, there's this radio box. And they mounted it in there crooked. And they got two rivets on each side of it. And one rivet's uh, attached to this roll bar, the A-post roll bar. Yeah. And the other two rivets are attached to this little sheet of aluminum that goes up from the roll bar to the door top. Yeah. And it's in there crooked, right? And I said, LW, I bet all that paneling in there is original. And if we go down to that car, it's at my house. Uh, it was at my or my house next to Mama's at the time. I said, I bet if we see them property holes, that's, that's it. Wow. Got to tell us. And we ran down there. And I walk, I, I mean, I walking in the door <laughs> thinking, it's either an, it's this either is it. This is like the moment Christmas. of truth. <laughs> well, it, or it's it could the be the car, worst, it, or, or I wasted all this money on right. it. Right. It could so be that. Phony. Yeah. yeah. And sure enough, the rivet holes were there. Be damn. Yeah, and it was like hallelujah. So, did you pay a lot for it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you bought it at Barry Jackson, you yeah. did. Yeah. And so Rick, uh, I was like, you know, I'd I'd already bought the car. I was so thankful that I that I that it was the right thing, and we ended up uh, restoring it in over there. Robert G. Jenner oh, put know. the body back on it. Yeah. Well, tell him about the hammer marks, too. Yeah, well, you know, Daddy beat the floorboard out of all his cars. <laughs> Did you know that? Oh, yeah. Put yeah. The seat he beat down. the hell out of the seat. You know, yeah. that's all. He cut the bottoms off the seat. That's how we adjusted everything. You had to get a butler seat, and then you'd just start banging on it and yeah. beating on it till you got it kind of where it fit you. You know, you didn't yeah. have those molds like they had the day you sat. No, you know, we had to beat the hell out of them. Yeah. And in the race, sometimes you'd get them all bowed out like you want them before. <laughs> He oh, had yeah. to be able to lay down in there. You know? <laughs> right. You know, he had that he had that seat like a little rat hole right in the middle of it where he set his butt. Yeah, yeah they, he would cut the bottom out of his seats. Oh, yeah. And put he the was pad on, He put the pad on the floor of the car. No hole. He said the seat wasn't holding you in. The belts were. That's right. Well, he, uh, look, I don't have to tell you. He had a theory about everything. Oh, he did. It didn't matter what it was. He had a theory about it. 
So anyways, Daryl, thanks for coming all this way. You Always. said you stayed in a hotel by yourself. So you're doing all this just to be here for, for us today. Yeah. I'm sure you're coming through town seeing some old friends too, so that makes me feel a little bit better you coming all this way. No, no, I, I, I watch your show quite often. I, you've had some of my best, you know, Kenny Schrader, and of course you had Hank Jr. on mm-hmm. the other day, and you've had Kyle Lar- You had a lot of, you know, a lot of fun people, and I, I, I watch because I like to see what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm in Tennessee, and everybody's over here, and so, you know, I don't always – I'm not in the loop so much like <laughs> I once was, so I like to know what everybody's doing. So it's fun to be here, man. I'm, I'm excited about it. You said you're in Tennessee. Where are you at? I live in Franklin, Tennessee. I, I, I got married in 69, so Steve and I have been married 51 years. Mm. And uh, we moved down to Tennessee right after I got married and started driving uh, for PB Crail. I think you remember Chubby, his son, <clears throat> and, you know, we built uh, – we had cars at – he, he, he bought all his cars from Bobby Allison. So that's how I got to be friends with Bobby Allison. Uh, and I started racing at the fairgrounds. And I won everything. I You know, I won, 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 won. Matter of fact, the first cup race I won was at the fairgrounds. So I moved there in 1970. I've been there ever since. In the car business. Got to five car dealerships there. and Wow, five car dealerships. Yeah, yeah. yeah we yeah. have Honda, Volvo, uh, Subaru, Buick, and GMC. If you get all the – Got all them car dealerships. Why was you in broadcasting so long? Because <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing, even to, you know, even today, and I guess I was fortunate when you think about it, because I wouldn't have been a, I wouldn't have been good with this COVID thing, because I, I never liked to watch the monitor. Oh, for for twenty for nineteen years they stayed on me all the time. Like, watch the monitor, watch the monitor. People at home don't know what you're talking about. I said, I don't care if they know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I want a camera over here. I want a camera over there. And so it was, you know, it would have, it would have been hard for me to be in the studio and, and do the races because I got to see it. I got to smell it. I got to feel it. I got to touch it. Uh, he's I got to hear way. it. Yeah, I, must, I know you're the same way. You're yeah. that way. Luckily for us, the way the, the way the booth works for us is I've always felt like that if I thought something was interesting that I saw out the window, I'd just start talking about it and they're going to put a camera oh, on Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's you know the way I, mean? I was. Yeah, same way. Um, and so, and, and our, and our producer allows us to sort of steer the camera to wherever we want. Like, this is a great battle getting ready to happen. Go, you know, let's go there. So when you were working in the sport, you didn't live in Tennessee. Um, you know, when you're driving race cars, uh, in a cup series, all those years, you didn't live in Tennessee. You were here, right? You were in Charlotte. Well, this was my second home. Uh, I met Robert G, uh, your grandfather, uh, Jake Elder brought my Mercury, my 71 Mercury over here for Robert to fix the side in. What happened to the side? Well, I got in a wreck in the Daytona 500 and uh, Marty Robbins raked down the side of my car and, and pushed the whole side of it in. And I finished the race. I don't remember where I finished. Yeah. But anyway, so when the race was with and Jake lives in Charlotte and he had worked at Holman Moody, he had worked for the Petties and he worked for Hudson Pagan. So Jake knew everybody. And he said, we're going to take this car back to Charlotte and I'll get Robert G to fix it. I said, all right. What's his last name? <laughs> that is his last name. Okay, well, so we go. So I've never been to Charlotte before. So they bring the car over here, and I come over here, and I, I and, and like Charlotte Motor Speedway seemed like it was way out in the country back in the day. It took, you know, Land Airport. It was. took forever to yeah. get out there, you know, but we finally got out there. We stopped by Elmo Langley's shop on the way because we had to pick up a gear, and I don't know, we did a bunch of stuff. So we get to Robert's shop and this little shop behind his house, and there are damn wrecked cars everywhere mostly Dodges, and we go down to the driveway into the shop, and Robert, he's a big guy with his eyes, man, a cigarette hanging with ashes hanging off of it, you know, and Robert's welding it. He's going, 
<laughs> I grab, I'd say, we got to get my car out of here. He said, what's wrong? I said, that man can't even weld. He doesn't know how to weld. Because I'd never seen a wire welder before. I thought you had to hit an arc, you know, and run a, yeah. run a bead, you know. That's funny. He said, calm down, calm down. It's going to be fine. And so Robert and I, you know, became great friends. I kept my cars there. Uh, the Mercury you're talking about, is that, that car, is that the car that Mario Andretti won a Daytona 500 with? I had no idea. When I bought that car, I bought it from home to Moody. It was a 69 Mercury when I bought it. It had been a 67 Fairlane, then a 69 Mercury, then I turned it into a 71 Mercury. And that's kind of the way chassis were yeah. back in the day. You didn't throw them away. You just updated, updated them. them. So yeah. I, we were working on that was car it, one day. Was it a frame from front to front? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a it was a whole car. I bought it. was a, yeah. a guy named How did you update cars back then? Because they, they had a lot of – I mean, it was a stock – shell yeah, on top of the chassis I, you just cut the sheet metal off of them and add, you know you'd put another set of sheet metal on them wow i mean that thing started off brand new as a 67 fairlane and of course it became a, a 69 mercury and and ralph stomlin bill france senior he liked to bring those kind of road racing guys over and this car ran at talladega that's the last time it had been raced it set on a front row i think um anyway i bought the car and we're working on it Who'd one day it in from? the shop it's way back in the day, you know. Who did you buy it from? I bought the car from uh, uh, from Hoven and Booty. Yeah, you just walk over and I'm interested in buying a car. Oh, they wanted to sell it. It was for sale, and uh, they wanted. Uh, I paid. I got the car with the engine in it, brand new engine, 427 tunnel port, a spare engine. Mm. I didn't really know why I needed a spare engine, but after a little while, <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> they don't last very long, and some tires and wheels and so forth. The first race I went to. I went to Talladega. That was my first race. And everybody said, why do you go to Talladega? I said, well, that's when we got the car done. So I had the car at Hudson Pagan. That's how I met Jake. And Jake was working on the car, and he was up on the dash ground. And he said, hey, hey, come over here. He said, you know what car, do you, you know where this car came from? I said, I got it from Home and Moody. Why? He said, this is Mario's car. How did he know? It had a tag under the, under the dash, in the, on the firewall under the dash. It had serial numbers on it. And Jake had worked on that car. And that's how he knew that was the, ch- wow. the chassis. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it, a lot did, changed. it went through a lot of changes. Yeah, the body, no. Wow. I, I, was, I was so, well, I was kind of happy because, you know, I said, man, I got Mario Andretti's car. And Mario was, a, you know, he was yeah. one of my heroes back in the day, he and AJ. But anyway, go to Talladega, the first race I go to, got this 71 Mercury. It's been over Hudson Peg, and I'm ready to go. Man, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm at Talladega. And we opened, I got this, I got this Maxwell House coffee truck that my father-in-law bought from a, a Buick, uh, Oldsmobile dealer in Owensboro. Big box truck? Yeah, big old box truck. International. It'd wear you out just driving it. <laughs> got a trailer, got the car. Jake goes, I meet Jake at Talladega. We unload the car. We go open up the back door, and he looks in there, and he says, where's your, where's your, where's your tools? Where's your, where's your equipment? I'd been to Western Auto. This is no lie. There's Western Auto in Owensboro. I'd been to Western Auto. I'd bought me a little toolbox, and I had some nine sixteenths wrench and some, <laughs> you know, some wire, but some pliers and some screwdrivers. Yeah, a couple wrenches, yeah. And I, that's all I had. I didn't have. I didn't have jack stands. I didn't have air wrenches. I didn't have anything. And Jake, I thought he was going to die. I thought he was going to turn around and go home. Which later, which on he, he th- that kind of was his thing, right? <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I, I mean, I was ready to go. That's what I had at the fairgrounds. It worked all right there. Why wouldn't it be okay for Talladega? It wasn't. So I ended up having to buy air wrenches. 
Oh man, air! I had uh, rent air tanks. I had to buy some. I had to go out and buy some. I, I probably I didn't have money. I had. See, that's one of the things that was kind of weird about my career. When I first started, everybody thought because my wife Stevie, her father-in-law was the president of Texas Gas, so everybody really, uh, yeah, everybody assumed I had a lot of huh. money. So they thought I'd come in. I'm a rich kid, you know. I didn't have two nickels to rub together. I'd pay Jake and Robert and them on Friday and borrow it back from them on Monday. Mm. That's how broke I was. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't have a lot of money to spend, but somehow, some way, we managed to make it. Where do you go buy and rent all this stuff at last minute like that? Like how did you just different? You know, I, those I, park I, trucks at the track. Yeah, back was, is that was, what you did? Yeah, there's stuff there. You know, it, uh, Mr. Hurd. Back in the day, there were parts trucks. Yeah. That would park in the garage. I mean, two or three retailers, basically like a anything you need. Yeah. Pompa Stone, Hudson Payne, yeah. Butch Stevens. They did, if that truck didn't have it, one next door did. And they, yeah. they would sit there and retail sell everything you could need. Sure. If yeah. somebody wanted it or needed it at the racetrack, it was in that sh- in the, one of them parts trucks. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's so different. I, I, I hate – he knows because he was there a little bit, but – the sport is so different today than it was then. I mean, it was it was just a few guys. Uh, it was a hobby. It was almost like a hobby. It wasn't a business like it is today. How'd you do in that race, your first race? Well, it's kind of funny because Jake was notorious for cheating. And I didn't know that. I mean, I, I oh, like Jake, but I didn't know that. <laughs> we led that race. Me and James Hilton had a heck of a battle. And I'll never forget, I came in the pits. And I had this ragtag bunch of kids from. You had to rent them too. Yeah, I, yeah. They all came up from Nashville. Oh, it was really? In the race, you know. So they didn't know they'd only ever worked on the car <laughs> in Nashville. The first pit stop we make, or they're somewhere in there in the race. I, I, I said, I got to be cheating. There's got to be something going on. <laughs> I passed Richard Petty, Buddy Baker, by <laughs> passing all these guys, and I'm I'm fighting with James Hilton for the lead of the race. Well, I didn't know we had old tires. The tires came with the car. The last time it was run was at Talladega, so it had these old slick tires like that's what they had had there to start with. And Goodyear had come this time with a brand-new treaded tire. Oh. Well, those treaded tires would run 10 laps and just tear all to pieces. Mm. So all these fast guys were having tire problems. Well, I wouldn't have any tire problems. So I came down pit road, and I stopped, and we made a pit stop. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I know we're cheating. Boy, I'm going to be in big trouble right from the get-go. You're thinking that? I, I was. I really was. Because how am I? How am I? I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm leading the race, you know. And I'm <laughs> You're up passing Richard Petty. I'm passing by Richard Petty. So I come into pits, and I make a pit stop. And I'm going down pit road, and everybody's pointing at me. I said, yep, they all know it. They know we're cheating. <laughs> I didn't know that the jack was hung under the car. <laughs> when they pitted the car and they didn't let the jack all the way down it got hung up under the car and i'm going down pit road with the jack hung up under the side of my car and everybody's i thought they were saying oh he's cheating like hell but no they were just pointing at that jack hey man you got a jack under your car that was a brand new jack i think i paid 200 dollars for it (laughs) he knows what the uh, cost you just bought it yeah but anyway that was my first race i could have won that race you know what i always think about what if i'd have won that race your first one here i am First race I've ever been to. I'm a rookie. You think I was obnoxious before that race? <laughs> what would I have been like after? If I'd have won that first race, I don't know what they would have done. You would not, they, they would not have been able to deal with you. No, they wouldn't. They, they, they wouldn't. have no idea what they were about to get. Jaws would have surfaced much earlier than his career. Jaws would have been, been a goldfish at that point. <laughs> they only know what kind of shark they were going to get, right? But it, it was that, that first. Those first few years were amazing. I, I look back on them. I said, how in the heck did I survive? How did I make it? 
I, I, I don't know. It just blows my mind sometimes thinking about how lucky your dad mm-hmm. and I, I mean, we were buddies, and he's racing dirt cars at, you know, Concord. And I'm trying to keep a car together to go to the next race. And I got all these, I got Ray Fox Jr. and Robert G. and Larry Reagan. I got all the, tw- all the, all the guys from the 71 team, when they closed the doors over there, Harry Hyde, K&K they came to work car. for us. They came to work for me. And so I had, I had a really good bunch of guys. Did you know it? Did you know how good they were then? No, no. Like, they, just, you're talking about legendary names now. They're just guys, you know. Just, I didn't know. Harry Hyde. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, Harry Hyde was what was uh, from Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, I, I knew who the Harry was. He and I were kind of buddies. I always said, if I got in trouble and I had to go to court, I want Harry to be my attorney because he was so – he could talk his way in and out of anything. Could he? Oh, he was great. I loved Harry. The car that we're talking about, I'm a big Jimmy Means fan. And yeah. In my, you know, in collecting photos of Jimmy over the years, there's a picture of you and him with your Mercury T-boned at Daytona and oh, yeah. 300 miler. Yeah. What happened there? Well, that was the last time I ran that car. Right. And uh, and you uh, were there running a Cup race in yeah. another car. Yeah, I was driving for Diegard, I think, at the really? time. Yeah. And you still had that. Mercury and piddling with it. I had what was left of it, yeah. When I hit Jimmy, it pretty well wiped it out. <laughs> but anyway, and what was funny is Jimmy's from Alabama, you know, and Y'all there's something other. about Tennessee and Alabama. We, you know, there's just some rivalry there that we just could never seem to yeah. get over. But anyway, I knew Jimmy from racing at BIR and Huntsville and different places. And he swore, and he was mad at me. He might still be mad at me. I don't know. Did I hit him on purpose? He swore that, you know, he got sideways in front of me and I T-boned him. I went, what am I going to do? I got no, you know, I, I did the best I could. And he was mad at me for, he may still be mad at me. I don't he know. He was, he, what? He thought you T-boned him on he purpose? He thought I did it on purpose. What? I said, why well, can't I tear my car all to hell hit, just to hit you on the side of the door? He said, well, you were trying to kill me. I said, no, I really wouldn't. I just, it was an accident. I promise. That's wild. Well, I know. That sounds like there was some animosity there more than just a Tennessee, Alabama thing, right? Or did well, you guys... I, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but um, DW was winning the track title at Mar- uh, Nashville, and then when DW went on from the fairgrounds, uh, Jimmy won the title the next season. Yeah. And oh, the yeah. 1974 Winston Racing Series championship. championship. Yeah, somewhere back in there. I won, it, I won the tra- track championship in 70. It was abbreviated season. Yeah. And then I won again in 73. Uh, I drove R.C. Alexander's. Yeah, Mike Alexander. So this Mercury, you crash it. That's yeah. the last race it runs. Yeah. How does it end up being restored and back in your hands today? Yeah. I love his. I love the way cars do this. How, yeah. how does that car? Where does it go? Yeah. So we take the car home and uh, and and because it just killed it from the firewall forward. I mean, it was done. It was yeah. dead. And so we took it home and we took everything off of that car: oil tank, spindle, anything that we could salvage. And that's how we built the Camaro. The little Camaro I have that we won the, the oh, yeah. modified race at Daytona in in 78, we took everything off the Mercury and put it on the Camaro. The wow, rear end, housing, really? and just things that we could salvage. We took the body from the firewall back and, and put it out behind Robert's house and covered it up with a tarp. Well, that's where it sat forever. And then Hugo came through. Wow. And Hugo came there through then? and blew a tree down onto the Mercury. Oh. So... There it sits with a tree laying on top of it. And Robert calls me and says, Daryl Lee. He always called me Daryl Lee. He said, Daryl Lee, I'm taking this car to the dump. I said, what? You can't do that, Robert. He said, 
It's killed. It's <laughs> no good. You don't want it. I said, all right, I'm going to come over. I'm going to check it out. So I went over. We get the tree off of it. And I had a shop at the, at the time at the Charlotte Motor Speedway in the Goodyear buildings up there. Yep. That's where my little bush shop was. Wow. And so I took the car up there, uh, what was left of it. And I said, someday I'm going to find somebody, sorry to say this, dumb enough to fix this thing. <laughs> and sure enough, um, oh, heck, what was that kid's name that worked for Joe Rutman, uh, his crew chief, and God hung with him a lot. Anyway, he came by one day and he said, what are you going to do with that old body? I said, I want to fix it up. He said, I'll fix it for you. So he took the car. He took what was left of it, took it to his shop. He bought a cadaver car from California and brought it home and put all the kind of parts from that car onto that body, fixed it. James Hilton, who was a great friend of mine, uh, he, he helped me set. He put the 429 motor in it. Uh, Kenny, Kenny, whatever his name was, at Home of the Moody, he built me a set of stainless steel headers for it because hmm. he still had all the templates. So uh, slowly but surely, I got the car put back together. And today I have it. I, 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 it's got a 429 Hemi in it which are kind of rare and uh it's it's an amazing it's an amazing car to have yeah it's crazy so you just talked about the camaro this camaro i tell i talk to people all the time about robert g oh yeah and how good a body man he was oh yeah and how creative he was and so one of my favorite things to sort of uh tell people about that he uh that he did was with that camaro and the front fenders oh yeah made them out of volkswagen fenders oh yeah did you see that happen oh yeah it was so so he's uh, – Robert's a perfectionist, and, and if, Robert was the funniest man I ever knew in my life. I mean, he could be dead damn serious and crack you up. Really? He's I mean, just that southern uh, Virginia, South Hill, Virginia, accent he had, going to his and going to the bed, and let's, <laughs> let's cook a steak. And, and he drank he – he loved Crown Royal. He kept all of his really important stuff in those little blue bags you know he kept all the watches and rings and anything he had collected oh you know like a in the bank cr- money bag yeah man yeah that was his, that was why he kept everything in those blue bags you know he thought but it was good enough for the bank oh yeah <laughs> we've been there working away look we've been there working away on the car and he'd say well daryl lee time for us to eat dinner and he said i'm gonna cook a steak you go up to concord and get me a fifth of a crown royal and uh i'd come back and We'd drink Crown Royal and cook steaks and work on cars all night. Best steak you'll eat. Oh, man. I've heard that. He would oh, sit there on the grill while it's cooking and just drizzle uh, Worcestershire sauce on them. Oh, yeah. Just a little yeah. at a time. And it would seep into that meat, man. It was so damn good. Yeah, Tony Jr. is the one that first told me about his steaks, which I guess were legendary. Like, yeah. apparently he cooked oh, a yeah. million of them, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what you ate when you went over there. Every steak. night. I'd eat for breakfast or dinner, you know, whatever. <laughs> He would work all night and sleep all day. I mean, it, you have to, it kind of remind me of Dale Jr. when he comes to that, <laughs> <head>, you know. <laughs> it's in the blood, I guess. I guess. Yeah. The Volkswagen Fender suit, yeah. it's crazy to think that, I mean, you needed clearance. You needed tire clearance. Oh, yeah. This thing was, you know. Yeah. So how did how did he, so he, he how did that come it's up? It's 2 in the morning. That's, that was his working hours, you know, probably from about 8 to 2 or 3 in the morning. He called me at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, and he would about probably he might have been a little high i don't know he says uh daryl lee i figured it out i said what the what did you figure out robert i figured out what those what i, I went to the junkyard i bought some volkswagen fenders and wait till you see this car wait till you see what i've done with these <laughs> fenders and so he had built fabricated stuff to 
go because the, the car sit real low and the tires were higher. Yeah. The, the, the tires were actually higher than the motor. Yes. So the way the body was put on the car and everything. So you had to have these big fenders. Right. And, and, and he oh. had to, it had to be, and see, he had worked for Harry Hyde, so they knew a lot about it. They knew quite a bit about aerodynamics at that look time. At that. Wow. And so he called me. That's, yeah, look at that. And he called me that night at 2 in the morning. He said, I finally figured it out. I got me some Volkswagen fenders, and I put those on there, and they are perfect. <laughs> I bet in your mind you're like, what the hell yeah, are you I, talking about? <laughs> right. I don't, I don't feel good about this. <laughs> your imagination would have never I been I don't feel to too see. good about right. this, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. Because, I mean, I knew he, I, he was so good. He was absolutely the best. That looks amazing. I couldn't yeah. believe the, the it. The craftsmanship. But, yeah, but my, you know who else is pretty good? I know. Good he's too. the one that told me about them fenders, and I'm like, how do you think in your mind – you know what would work is some Volkswagen fenders. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you know what's funny about that car? So I paid for everything on that car. We spent about $25,000. I got a motor from Junior Johnson. and So, so I basically I felt, like I, I felt like it was my car. But when Robert passed, they had an auction at his garage. And, and they were going to auction off the car. I called the, his daughter, and I said, hey, you can't auction off that car. It's mine. She said, well, do you have a bill of sale? I said, no, I don't have a bill of sale. You bought it. I said, <laughs> you paid she it. said, you got a canceled check? I said, I don't have anything. I said, but I paid for all that. I said, Robert built it, but I paid for it. She said, if you don't have any proof of you own it, we're selling it at the auction. Mm. So I said, okay, great. <clears throat> so I go to the auction. It's over at Robert's house. Oh, yeah. And I said, uh, the car comes up for bid. And I started, I bid 2500 because it wasn't all, the, it, was, it, was, it wasn't together. It was a lot of pieces and parts. You had to put it back together. So I bid 2500 Somebody bet 3000 Where'd that come from? So I bet 3500 And somebody said 4000 And I look around, it's Butch Stevens, because Butch had helped work on that car, too. So I, <laughs> I went over, over and there, Butch behind me said, look, Butch, we can jack this thing up to $10,000 if that's what it takes. I'm going to buy this car. So you can, because we were kind of buddies. I said you can either bail, or you can jack the price up to, to unreasonable. Yeah. But I'm going to. But buy you're not this losing. Car. I'm going to yeah. buy this car. So I ended up buying the car for back for four thousand dollars. Wow. And yeah. then I had to put it all together. I had to buy a motor for it, and all this stuff was in the little garage behind little little storage room behind Robert's house. The headers and pieces and parts that went to the car. But that was. I had to buy it back at an auction. Well, yeah, but I understand. Now, do you still own it? You still oh, yeah. have it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got it at the shop. Oh, man. Yeah. All, all the cars I have, Ray Everham, that's the only one he ever said, if you ever want to sell that car, I'll that's buy so it. so cool. Yeah. Because we took it to Daytona. We were the only one there with a Camaro that first year. Yeah. They ran the modifieds on the, on the big track. They've been running them on the road course. So oh, they ran right. the modifieds on the big track, and we built that Camaro, and we got there, and everybody said, are you kidding me? Whoever thought about running a Camaro like that in a modified race? <laughs> well, we did, and we won it, and and that made that car very famous. Yes, they, everybody copied it. Yeah, yeah. The next year, uh, there was Richie a, Evans Richie had one, and Richie won the race. Yeah, because Robert went down to Banjo's. Banjo built Richie a car, and Robert went down to Banjo's and helped put the body and fix the car. For oh, him. so Robert uh, built his too. Oh yeah, he or, built the or, fender for it. Yeah, <laughs> Robert was Robert was special. Yeah, was special. So talk about Robert's um, dirt track car. Well, you ran it also at the Snowball. Yeah. Um, Camaro. Yeah. One thing that I've always wondered, um, again, 
collecting all these photos, trying to put all this stuff in order as far as what happened first. When I'm looking at this 17 car that Granddaddy owned that he ran at Metrolina, yeah. you drove it at Snowball Derby. Yeah. It ran – Haywood Plyler drove it. Yeah, yeah. Um, after you and Daddy, but what? When were you driving it, and when was Daddy driving it? Because it kind of looks like the same car, almost in the same year. Um, but you, you know, talk about driving his little short track car that he ran around. Oh yeah, and so, pull up the pictures. Let's talk. Yeah. So we took the car. <clears throat> Dale would run it on dirt on Friday night. And I'd run it on asphalt on Sunday. The same wow. weekend. The same car. Yeah. It, it, Dale didn't tear it up. You know, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Dale was pretty bad about knocking. I got to tell you this story. So Robert built this SDWF really brand new car. Snowball Derby. Yeah. So Robert Ooh. built this car, and it was really a pretty little car, awesome a little Camaro. Car. Yeah. And I went in a shop, but the heart, the nose was a little higher than normal. Yes. It wasn't down on the ground like it's supposed to be. And I said, Robert, I said, ain't that nose, a, ain't that nose up there a little high? He said, don't worry. They'll erase it down. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I let, hey, I let Dale take one of my – I had a brand-new little Nova. That's at, uh, that's at the Snowball. That's DW right there. Yeah. Look at you. Working on it. Oh, we do. And now that, now I know the inspiration for that uh, that side panel there. Oh, yeah. So so uh, I, I let Dale take my little Nova to Nashville. He When I met Dale – he was he was racing dirt tracks and he would we would sit and drink Jack Daniels and he'd say I got to get off these dirt tracks I ain't never going to be anybody if I don't get off these dirt tracks you got to help me and of course at the time I was a little bit better off than he would but not a lot that's the car he's talking yeah that's the car so I said I tell you what so time went by and I, I said I had this little car I needed to finish it was it wasn't all it wasn't all together wasn't finished I said I tell you what deal if you'll finish that car you can take it to Nashville and race it. Because Dale was a good, he was a good mechanic. I mean, he was good at working on cars. So he and Big Cruz and, I don't know, two or three of his buddies, uh, Hargett and a whole bunch of them, they all got in on that car, and they all fixed that car, and they got it ready to go, and they took it to Nashville. Mm. So Monday morning, I said, well, I wonder what happened. I never heard anything about how he did or anything. Monday morning, I'm at home, and I get my phone call from about five different drivers from Nashville. And they said, if you ever let him drive one of your cars again, we're going to come and whip your ass. Because mm. he... He proceeded to bring my car back in a basket. Right. <laughs> he, Dale, Dale was so – what I loved about Dale and what I loved and what I – it's kind of love-hate thing about Dale. Dale could do anything with a car. I mean, he could get it out of shape. He could, he could put it in a hoe. He could just – he could do – he had such great car control. He learned that from racing on dirt, you know, all that dirt track racing that he did. But he would do things sometimes that would absolutely make you – you know, tick you off. You know, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. And, of course, he'd had that, that little grin, you know, that he always had. And he said, well, you know, guy was in my way, and I need to move him. And he wouldn't get out of the way, and so I had to move him for, You know, I had to help him I out. I had to help him bit. out. Yeah. I, I'm assuming, is this around 1970? That, uh, in the 70s. It yeah. was in the 70s. Yeah. Right. Because he was running dirt, and then eventually he made it to pavement. Or he, yeah. And I'm assuming that that's when ralph probably around the time he passed away yeah it was right after so that, i think that was around 72 i believe yeah ralph passed away and then and then uh i'll never I, again it's another it's another story but uh johnny ray from uh, talladega oh look at that little and that, car it's a beautiful car we're just sitting here sharing pictures for all I the mean, podcast listeners that, right that now. car I mean, that car could be that car could race today it's beautiful i know 
And and by the way, look at you with your your hand hanging out the window like oh, yeah, like I, you're I, on the first I'm, Sunday I'm, drive. I'm cool, yeah, yeah, I'm, you were cool. I learned that at the dairy drive-in. Hang that arm out the window and kind of you know. <laughs> <laughs> we had those drive-through drive-ins back in the day. You get, I had a '53 Ford flathead. I'd pull the choke. I had a hand choke. I'd pull the choke and they go, yeah, 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 and I go through the dairy drive. Hey, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so you you and dad would sh- sort of drive you and dad both were driving yeah. for robert you were you know y- y'all were also doing other things but robert's little car that he kept in his shop that he went and ran the dirt tracks and asphalt tracks a little short track races all over the country or all over the southeast you're peddling with that a little bit having some fun trying to you know trying to get your cup career well your cup career is started you're yeah. all, you're all you're running in a cup series talk about moving from driving your own car, your little Mercury, and getting that opportunity to race for Bud Moore Yeah, mm-hmm. in the 15. Yeah, well, I was 73, and uh, I mean, I, I guess people people in the sport could tell that, you know, if I had a good car, I could drive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of, uh, he's an okay driver. He's just, you know, it, I took a lot of, I took that Mercury, I took everything that I got in, and, and I made it competitive. I drove Junie Dunleavy's car. I ran up front. I drove the Diegard car, ran up front. Uh, so everybody could tell. This one's 73. Everybody could tell if, if he had a good car, he'd probably, he'd probably be pretty special. Yeah. So uh, Bobby Isaac was driving for Bud Moore, and uh, Bobby quit. got out of the car at Talladega. Said he heard a voice. That's right. Said something told him that uh, I, I, after I drove for Bud Moore, I know where the voice came from, by the way. <laughs> Wasn't even doubt about that. It was Bud Moore. It was Bud Moore. <laughs> <laughs> that was the voice that, that get out of the, the car? Voice. That's a legendary story, <laughs> no. real quick. I, and for those that don't know, Bobby Isaac's in the race. Is he leading? Uh, he may have been. That's, and he, he said that's he – That's the tale is that he well, had a big but, lead. But didn't somebody – Crash in that race that uh, who didn't who didn't crash? Everybody. In that's right. Race. We had fifty four cars right. sometime. But did yeah. somebody die? May have been Tiny Lund. I don't know. It could yeah. have been that, it was long that period of time. Yeah. But anyway, he but said he, he heard quit a voice during the race. Yeah, yes. and he and just po- got out and parked it and never raced again. Well, he, he raced at Hickory. Man, uh, I think that's where he had a heart attack at Hickory. So you were the replace. So so the Bud Moore yeah. ride. You I, were the I, next I, driver. I, 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 Bud and I were buddies. I, I was friends with everybody. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd have to. Back in the day, you had to be friends with everybody because you had to borrow something. <laughs> but this I, is a th- like this is a big deal. Like yeah. Buddy's car was a was a competitive ride. Yeah. Um. You know, you're. This is a big deal for you. Yeah. Well, here's the here was the here was what I kind of figured out as time goes by. Bud was running a 351 small block against. God only knows how big those motors were. Yeah. I mean, they were racing against Hemi's and 427s, and they were restricted to try to make the small block competitive. And at some tracks, that car may have had a slight advantage, but not at all the tracks. But I didn't know that. Hell, I'm supposed to win every race. That's all I know. That's a, that's a winning car. That's a winning car owner. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to win every race. So, uh, But anyway, Bud called me, and, and it was kind of hard because I was it was 73, and I was just getting my – act together and i had jake and i had robert I had a lot of stuff at their shop at, at robert's shop and bud wanted me to drive his car and i thought man i don't know do i want my name on the front of the check or do i want my name on the back of the check i couldn't make up my mind <laughs> but i figured the back was a lot better than the front so i went and drove his car for eight or ten races and i wrecked every week you did i, I don't yeah, think it didn't go good I, it didn't go well at all i went to darlington 
think I qual- I could qualify really well. Qualified front row at, at Richmond, wrecked, caused a big crash, big fire. <laughs> Went to Darlington. Why were you wrecking? Was it was it you or was it <laughs> I was just a car my, handful? I was or? Way my head. Really? I, I just didn't have the. I didn't have. I I, I didn't know. It, it. You know, when you're a rookie, you don't know what oh, you don't yeah. know. Well, if if I didn't realize that I had a small motor, they had a big motor, and they probably were better than me. But if Bobby Allison ran a at Richmond, for instance, if he ran a, a 18 flat, I was supposed to run a 1790. You know. And, and so that's kind of how I approached it, and I, I went at it all wrong. Mm. And Bud and I – Bud and I were really – I liked Bud a lot. We were good friends, and, and I was going to drive for him in 74. But uh, George, Former, George Former came along, and he had some money. Yeah. And I didn't have any money. And Bud said, look, Cola. i got to go with the money. i got to go with the R.C. Cola deal. And so I was back to my car. So, yeah, and that didn't work out too well for Bud either. Uh, no, it didn't. <laughs> Maybe the voice knew what was coming. Maybe the voice actually knew a lot more about this situation than anybody else did. Maybe. Hey, hey Bud was a piece of work. Now I'm t- I went to Darlington the first time I uh, drove his car, the Southern 500, and it's hot. Oh, it must have been 120 degrees. And and tongue tongue said, "Let me tell you something, boy. Don't go in that third turn, which is the first turn now." He said, "Don't go in that third turn on the outside of anybody." You just fall in line, get behind us. Don't don't go in that turn on the outside of nobody. I said, okay, 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 I won't. And so we start the race. I think I started fourth. Bobby was here. I was on the outside. We go down the back straightaway, and I'm th- I'm side by side with Bobby. I said, surely he'll let me in because we're kind of buddies, not not great buddies, but kind of buddies. I said, he'll back off. He'll let me in. He'll back off. He'll let me. He didn't back off. He didn't <laughs> let me in. First damn lap, I'm up against. <laughs> Tore the whole right side out of the car on the first lap of the race. After you, you oh. had been told, and it all went, it all went, it went, went way south after that. It wasn't a good day at all. So uh, what happens after you, the after you're done driving Bud's car? Uh, you get back and you got your own car. Yeah. You keep running it, right? You yeah. win Nashville, your first race. When was that? 74, 75? 75. 75? Yeah. So how did you win that race? How did that happen? Well, I mean, I know you're good there. Yeah, we well, always figured. If you can't win, that's my home track, Nashville Fairgrounds. So I don't care what kind of car you're racing there. I ran a, I, I ran a USAC race there, and I won it. Uh, ASA, I, you know, I won everything. So if you can't win at your own track, how are you ever going to win anywhere else? Mm. And ironically, Kale Yarborough had the best car. I mean, yeah. Kale was short. what car are you driving? Where, where'd you get this car? We built it. It was a Hutchin Pagan, brand car. new. Yeah, I'd say it was probably yeah. probably a new car. Robert G. put the body on it. Robert did all the work on it. Uh, Ro- in the Victory Lane photo, you talked about a guy named Daryl Cruz. Yeah, Big Cruz. He's in there with you. Yeah. Your brother, uh, Michael's in there. Yeah, he's standing down the left front corner down Tiny there. little hair, you know. Uh, are you looking at it? No. Oh, yeah, okay. I remember by Yeah, but that was my first one. And why, why it was so special, it was on Mother's Day weekend, and uh, it was at Nashville, and so a lot of my friends, and, uh, you know, I'm a local hero, so right. mm-hmm. I beat all the big, you know, all the big guns come down, I beat them, and so that made me even a bigger hero. But uh, what was special about that race of my grandmother, and she's in that picture, uh, Granny and, and Pappy, uh, they were my, the first race I ever went to when I was six years old, I went with my grandmother, mm. and I sat in the grandstand with her, and uh, she, was a, she was a pistol. She was. She reminded me of a little Banny Rooster. She about five foot tall, smoke a cigarette and drink a cup of coffee, and cuss like a sailor. I, I grew up. It's a wonder. I. It's a wonder my language is as good as it is because <laughs> I grew up around some cussers. In, in, 
Well, in the garage. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, there's a there's a language in the garage that probably wouldn't use anywhere else. And my my grandmother and all they they cuss like sailors, you know, and they could hyphenate any word. It's yeah. just amazing. Yeah, that's a talent. Yeah. And so you won that race at Nashville Fairgrounds. I, humor me for a second, because Dale Jr. is basically uh, the probably the biggest advocate that I know of trying to get a return to National oh, Fairgrounds. Yeah. So yeah. What, tell me real quick. Oh, yeah, there's the picture. There's Michael, right? Yeah. Look at, <laughs> and, and, which, and Granny's there's wearing Robert, the purple? Yeah. Is yeah. that Granny, Granny in the purple? Robert G. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you stand up there. Just yeah. turn, turn it around Sorry. where DW can see. Yeah. That's – down on the down right right behind Michael is my grandmother and my yep. grandfather and my grandfather was a deputy sheriff in Owensboro, and uh, and my grandmother and my grandfather really kept me out of jail a lot. Uh, and so she's she, she, she's probably being profane at some sort right there in that oh, picture, right? She's like, probably cussing somebody. For, <laughs> <laughs> that's what my grandfather told me when I was six years old. He called my mom. He said, "Can D.W. go to the race with uh, Granny?" And mom said, "Well, why does?" He, I don't know if he – why? Why do you want him to go to the race for? He said, uh, every week Granny gets in a fight with somebody, and maybe if she, if he goes along, he can keep her out of trouble. <laughs> well, that's where I met G.C. Spencer, and that's how I, I was a big G.C. Spencer fan. Like, he likes Jimmy Means. I like G.C. Spencer. Yeah. And uh, had the flying saucer, and I loved that car. And I didn't – I failed at my job, though. I was supposed to keep my grandmother out of trouble. And ne- I, never I, did. No. But – what was it about Nashville Fairgrounds for those of us that never got to watch races there? Is it, you know, he's a, such a big advocate for yeah. it. Give, describe Nashville Fairgrounds driving there, you know, in, in a simple way. Yeah, I, I think what Nashville, it's a lot like uh, maybe Richmond is today. Uh, it, it's fast. It's a pretty fast racetrack. Uh, you have to have some skill uh, to get around there. And uh, I, I think those combination of uh, those Pretty long, pretty long straightaways, mm-hmm. and pretty sweeping turns. I uh, always felt like if you could win there, you could win anywhere. Is that right? It's just that kind of a uh, hybrid racetrack. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you had to handle. You had to do this. Had to do that. And you had to know how to get around mm-hmm. that joint. So when you win your first Cup race in the NASCAR circuit, I mean that's a dream. Oh yeah. For I mean, are you? Things were so different back then. It was such a different sport. Um, it wasn't this sort of national sport. It was really regional and, yeah. and, and all, but still, you know, you are, you've been, this is your dream come true. Yeah. Do you, do you, are you feeling that while you're sitting in Victor Lane on the, in that picture, you're sitting on the hood of that car? Yeah. Are you thinking in your mind, I can't believe I just beat Kel Yarborough, Bobby <laughs> Allison, Richard Petty. I, I mean, I am at my home track. This yeah. is comfortable. This is my couch. Yeah. But I, I, you know, did you think, man, I'm, I'm, I made it. Oh no, no, no! no, I didn't think that at all. (laughs) Not at not at that point. I I think what what that did for me it 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 gave me some confidence that I could. I thought I could. Yeah. I thought if things worked out, I could win. I could win a cup race. I could win in a cup series. What I was most proud of was that was my car. Mm. It was it was my team. You know, you see Jake, you see Robert, you see all my guys. Yeah, terminal side of the car. My sponsor, my car. I come into this into this circus, uh, you know, and and I had no idea what I was getting into, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so when I finally was able to win with my own stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I think I was prouder of that than I was the accomplishment. What's Terminal Transport? Well, at the time, uh, Terminal Transport was uh, the big brown trucks ran up and down the highway, commercial carriers. They hauled all the new cars out of Detroit. 
Yeah. Uh, they were owned by my uh, father-in-law's company, Texas Gas. Oh. And so, uh, is that was, the same thing that was terminal trucking? No, no, that's different. That's completely different. Yeah, that's, that's uh, Rich Bickle and that yeah. crowd. They were terminal. That was a whole different crowd. This, this, this was a, a big company. Uh, they were out over near Atlanta, somewhere over there. Okay. I can't remember where. Uh, that's where the headquarters was, and they, they, like I said, they hauled all those new cars out of out of Detroit on the. They were called commercial carriers, and they were the brown trucks that ran mm-hmm. up and down the race, up and down the road. You know why they paint them brown? Because you can't tell when they're dirty. <laughs> oh well. It, and and they made me the first couple of cars I had. They were brown. Yeah. They were ugly. That, that ugly. mercury. And was you brown. remember this car? <clears throat> uh, of course you do. You're Rain Man when it comes to cars. <laughs> the one you're talking about with the terminal truck. His his first. Yeah, his win. first win. Yeah. yeah. So um, but I, I the orange and white car. Yeah. Uh, look at that body. Look at Robert G. Body. Is that not amazing? It's the prettiest car. Did when you showed up to uh, Daytona? That's at Daytona. When you showed up to Daytona with that car right there, yeah, I mean they didn't have best appearing cars back then, but oh, yeah. every, did everybody in the garage walk by that thing? Oh yeah. When you were standing oh, well, in your garage stall, everybody that. knew Robert, so yeah. everybody knew he was gonna have a nice car. <laughs> but I, I, I tell my guys all the time, we got a lot of reasons to not be good, but we ain't got no reason for not look good. Yeah. And so I always, you know, Tony to Jr. would say that about when Tony Jr. went to go work for Robert, his own, uh, uh, his grandfather, obviously, um, the. They spent more time making it look good. I mean, he polished more cars. Oh, yeah. He Uh, wanted to look good. Oh, yeah. So you run your own car. Why'd you stop? You got to to ride from, you got to deal from? Dygard. Dygard. Yeah. Well. Donnie's driving for them. Yeah, Donnie was driving for them. They running good. Oh, yeah. They ran pretty good. Almost won the Daytona 500. Mario Mario Rossi was a crew chief, engine guy, and Bill Gardner. This is an episode of my life that, Every time I look at my career, Bill Gardner, Junior Johnson, Rick yeah. Hendrick, I, you know, I could, they're all little stepping stones. Sure. Uh, but Bill, Bill Gardner owned Diegard, and, and uh, here I am, a ragtag, one-car operation, and I outran them a lot. Yeah. Mm. And this particular race, the 4th of July race at Daytona, I passed Donnie on the last lap to finish third or fourth, and it made Bill Gardner so mad that he fired Donnie. My gosh. He fired him that day. And uh, his brother Jim ran the, kind of ran the race team. And so Bill Gardner said, I don't know who I, – I, I'm tired of that kid outrunning me. I want you to hire him. Ooh. And, and, I, and so Jim said, you want me to hire him? He said, find out where he is, make a deal with him. I want him driving my car. Yep. And so back in the day, we ran that race on Saturday. And uh, Stevie's mom and dad had a house down at Vero Beach. So when the race was with, we went to Vero Beach, spent a couple of days, and came back by Daytona. I wanted to pick up my check because, you know, you had you needed that money, pay your tire bill and whatnot. And, and so I'd go back by the Daytona headquarters, and they say, have you seen Jim Gardner? I said, no, I, don't, I haven't seen Jim Gardner. He's looking for you. I said, why is he looking for me? They want to hire you. I said, well, that ain't going to happen. I mean, I got a better car than they got. I got a better <laughs> team than they got. So anyway, we start down the road, and Stevie says, so uh, what were y'all talking about in there? I said, oh, those gardeners. I said, you know, they said that Jim Gardner, Bill Gardner, wanted to hire me to drive that 88 car. She said, what'd you tell them? I said, I told them, hell no. I said, I got a better car than they have. Are you crazy? <laughs> she said, you know how far in debt we are? You know how much money we owe? And you could go drive for somebody else? I said, well, I'm not going to do it. You will not believe. So we're going down the road. We're coming back to Charlotte. 
We stop to get gas at a gas station, and guess who's there at that gas station? Jim. Jim Gardner. Oh wow! Wow. That's fake. I mean, that's just yeah. And I and and, and so I'm putting gas. He putting. He says, uh, "When can we get together?" I said, well, "I don't know." I said, uh, "He said we we want you to drive our car." I said, "Really?" I said, "You want me to drive your car?" I said, "Don't you don't you think I gotta maybe." You should be looking at driving. Maybe you should be helping me with my, my car. car. But anyway, so we talked, and we left there, and we drove on down the road. And Stevie said, that's it. That's a sign. you got to go drive for them. So I got home, and Bill called me, and we got together, and I, I signed a deal. In the middle of 75, uh, I won Richmond. It was my car, but it had Dygard on it. Uh, so I, I ran my cars a few races, and I won Richmond in that, in that car that year. It was my car, and then I then we signed Gatorade. A Gatorade was funny. Gatorade was uh, uh, my my friend. Uh, let's see, my father-in-law's vice president at the company went to school with Bill Stokely at uh, Tennessee. So my father-in-law's vice president knew Bill Stokely, and this these stories that could go on forever. But Gatorade was sponsoring Johnny Rutherford at the Dayton at the uh, Indy 500. Yeah, they had on IndyCar. Okay, Bill Stokely, he don't, you know, he's he's he doesn't know much about racing, but he just wants to be on a car. They go to the Indy 500 Sunday morning. They won't let him in. He he couldn't get his credential because he didn't get there in time, and so his name's on the car. They won't let him in to watch his car run. So he left, yeah, and he, he was, was upset. Living. So he called my friend, and, and uh, my father-in-law vice president said, uh, told, was telling him the story. He said, well, why don't you come to NASCAR? Mm-hmm. They won't treat you that way in NASCAR. And said, they'll let anybody. Yeah. yeah let, <laughs> I mean, look at Pitt Road. <laughs> Highly restricted area, but look at Pitt Road. <laughs> but anyway, so that's how we got to – so I went, wow. to, I went to Indianapolis, met with Bill Stokely. This one, I still had my own car. And, uh, and I realized right away this is a much bigger deal – kind of like when junior johnson went to rj Reynolds. Mm-hmm. it's a lot bigger deal than just sponsoring a car this guy's got a lot of money and he's pretty he wants to be he wants to be a big wheel so i met bill gardner i met bill stokely and i got gatorade and i thought well, i put this all together and maybe i can come up with something and that's yeah. how we got gatorade that is really cool because gatorade that that become kind of an iconic car yeah oh, yeah um, the gatorade sponsorship that was a big deal what I loved about that car, Bill Gardner didn't know anything about racing. Him and his brother-in-law, uh, Mike DeProspero, that's where that die, DeProspero, and guard, die guard came from. Okay. And they didn't know anything about racing. Mike was a race fan, and he knew a little bit about racing, but he didn't know a lot about racing. Bill didn't know anything about racing. So I had it was an edu- educational process. That was the only – when I drove for die guard, when I drove for Bill Gardner, that's a, I had a contract. Mm-hmm. I thought, what the heck? Nobody has contract in racing. Now, all the crew members had contracts because Bill was a businessman. Everything had to be in writing, and you had to sign it. And so his approach to the sport was totally different than any than Bud Moore or anybody else at, in the sport at the time. And so I never had to deal with somebody like that. And it was it was a tumultuous time. I yeah. started Up, off it, great, but started it started off good. You did, you did, okay. Ended bad. Yeah. Ended bad. Ended it bad, ended. Mike. Yeah. And how bad? So, well, I was going to drive for Roger Penske. So I go. What uh, year were you planning on doing that? That was 1980. So I was going to drive for Roger Penske. So I go to uh, fly to New York, get on. He's Roger. not in the sport. Like he's sold his car. He to was Rod Osterlin. 
He had the the Matador. Yeah, but he sold his team. And then he was he had a car. Yeah, yeah Dave Marcus drove it, and then Dave, then right, he sold all his cars and everything to Austin. So he was coming back in. So he, yeah, you might be right. You know, <laughs> you're a better historian than I am about some of those things. <laughs> but I'm going to drive for Roger Penske, and I'm pretty excited about that. So I go to Roger's house in outside of New York. I don't remember where it was, and uh, we have lunch. We eat, and it's okay. Kind of made a deal. So we get back home, and the next day, Roger calls me and said, hey, tear that deal up. He said, the deal's off. I said, what happened? What's wrong? He said, Bill Gardner called me, and Bill Gardner said, if I sign you to a contract and you drive my car, neither one of us will be in racing anymore. He wasn't but happy. He wasn't happy about that at all. You had a contract with him. I had a contract with him. Oh, that's where those contracts come so in handy, So all the damn contracts they? were just getting in my way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they were messing up everything. But anyway, so I, I finished out the year in 1980 with, uh, with, with Digard. And then I then – You went to Junior Johnson. Yeah, with Kale Yarbrough. I love Kale. He kind of reminds me of Robert G., really. But Kale came to me in 1980, middle of the year, maybe somewhere along the way, and he put his arm around me. He said, D.W., I'm going to tell you something. I'm leaving juniors. I said, what? He said, I hadn't told anybody else. You're the first person I've told, but I'm leaving juniors. I said, you got to be out of your mind. He just won three championships. Mm -hmm. Win every week. He said, I'm tired of racing every week. I just want to cut back and we'll drive for M.C. Anderson. He said, but here's what I want to tell you. Junior Johnson wants you to drive his car. Junior Johnson wants me to drive his car? I mean, that was like flattering. Because when I was a kid growing up, I was I listened to Junior Johnson on my transistor radio. Mm-hmm. He drove that number three car, that white Chevrolet, and he was he'd been to prison. <laughs> he was a moonshiner. He lived in North Carolina. He lived in Wilkesboro. And he had the best car he, he had the best car in the sport and he wanted me to drive it? Well I was I just that that floored me. Well but hold on a second. Before we get there, you you seem to know it ended badly with Bill yeah. Gardner, but <laughs> you wouldn't you. have been privy to the information about the contract. So, like, was there animosity so, that was very public or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, very public. Oh, yeah. So, very. This is you can you can tell us you can you can fill the gaps here, but by the middle of the year in 1980, um, you and uh, Bill are not communicating. No, not at all. You're basically. Uh, I'm all right. I'm all, you know, I can't get out of this contract, so I'm going to finish my season with this 88 car, and then I'm I'm moving on. Bill Gardner, I, I he couldn't have been. Maybe he was serious, but because you say he doesn't know much about racing or didn't. Well, he learned fast though. <laughs> he brings Bruce Jenner and a guy and, and someone else. Yeah, was, uh, I can't remember who else it was, but he brought um he built. He brings Bruce Jenner and uh, someone else to the Charlotte race. Yeah, in the fall. In the fall, and has them interview Bill and Bruce and another athlete. Yeah, I can't remember. It was an IndyCar driver. I forget who he was. No, no. Uh, but think. um, I can't. I can't remember who it is. I'm trying yeah. to pull it up. But yeah, he they no, interv- they interview Bill and Bruce Jenner and some other athlete. About he's like a athlete in another sport. Yeah, and about driving this car. Yeah, hey, Daryl's leaving, but look, Bruce Jenner. Yeah, Bruce was a, a you know a, a big deal. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he might drive my car next yeah. year. You know, yeah. DW's. Eh. 
No, old news. No, no, DW's going to be sitting in the grandstand. Yeah. That's, what that's he, right. That, yeah. That was the, that's what he held over my head, that I had this contract. It was irrevocable, and, and, and you couldn't put a value on it. When I would try to find out, what do I got to do to get out of this contract? You can't get out of this contract. Uh, you are a, a rare commodity, and there's no way to put a value on this contract. And so it took some finagling to finally get around to what it took to get out of that contract. And my attorney, Ed Silva, and Peter Pinzer was uh, Bill Gardner's attorney, and they were talking on the phone one day, and Ed's pretty shrewd, and he was taping the conversation, and he asked Peter, he said, just hypothetically, uh, what would it take for DW to get out of that contract? He said, well, he's got three years left. It'd take $100,000 a year at least. That's all we needed. I mean, that was, that was all we needed was a number. So it was $300,000 for me to get out of that contract. And that's oh, what you gave him? That's what we gave him. Oh, it's a, it's a, I thought I assumed that your contract was going to run out at the I end of too. the year. Oh, no. It was oh, a multi-year no, deal. I had just signed a new deal. Why did you do that? Well, I was dumb. I was really dumb. I, <laughs> I, I, I was sitting in the car somewhere. I don't remember where. I don't know, Daytona, Talladega, somewhere. And they bring the contract to the car before the race You must starts. have disqualified on the pole or something really right. good. Yeah, I was feeling good about myself. I'm feeling good about myself. But I did learn one thing. If somebody says in lieu of, you better be sure you know what that means. <laughs> right. You didn't I know found out. I found out right quick in lieu of, I, I, they had paid me 40% and my expenses. Well, my new contract, I wanted 50% and my expenses. Well, I got to 50%, but it said in lieu of oh. your expenses. So I go to the shop like Monday or Tuesday after one of the races. They said, where's your credit card? I said, I got it right here. Let me have it. What do you want it for? Well, we don't, we're not paying your expenses anymore. You're not? Why not? He said, well, you, you agreed to that. Ugh. I did? Well, I didn't know I did. I didn't, I didn't know what in lieu of meant. Yeah. And so I got 50%, but I lost my expenses, which was pretty large at the time. You guys have a, an answer in the booth on who yeah, this is? Yeah, uh, Leah of. brought up a social thing. You can read, read it. Uh, this is from NASCAR Man. In October 1980, Daryl Waltrip announced he was leaving Dygard Racing to replace him. The owners sent telegrams containing offers to drivers like Mario Andretti, F1 champ Alan Jones, Paul Newman, and Bruce Jenner. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Mario Andretti. Yeah, right. Paul Newman. Paul yeah, Newman. Right. Bruce Jenner. Like, who else? What's O.J. Simpson doing at the time? Yeah. So, <laughs> it seemed like things were he going south white throughout Bronco. the whole he team. He didn't care though. about all that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Matt, Matthew brings up a good point. The whole team was kind of busting up. Yeah. Robert stuck around, though, didn't he? Robert Yates is working on that car for years. Yeah. And becomes the head engine guy. Yeah. Did you know Robert Yates was what he was? Oh well, back I then? met Robert at Juniors uh, when I was buying used parts from Junior. Junior run them five hundred miles, then I'd buy them and try to run them five hundred more miles. Sometimes yeah. he did, sometimes he didn't. But anyway, so he was Robert Yates was working at Juniors, and uh, I lured him away from Juniors to come to, to Diegard to fix the motor issues you were having when Ross, Mario Rossi. Ra- Rossi uh, he, t- we'd put an engine in a car, we'd run 10 laps, it'd blow up. Mm. I same mean, thing, almost every week. Same problem Donnie had driving that car. Yeah, and, and I'll never forget. So we bought all these radios, like $30,000 radios, which is a lot back in the day. And Bill Gardner had a radio on, a big headset on. We run about 10 laps, and I said, blow up. Come, he come down when the race over, threw the helmet, and threw the radios, and he said, 
I could have heard that over the PA system. He said, <laughs> I didn't need no damn radio. So anyway, but yeah, Robert, Robert was, Robert was cool. Robert was one of the coolest. Did you know he was as good of a motor builder? Oh no, I just knew he. I just knew what he could do at juniors. Yeah. I mean, I knew he built some incredibly good engines. Up. I got to tell you this. So the first time I go to Martinsville in juniors car, and I and we're getting ready to, for the race, and uh, I said, so what gear do y'all run up here? 567 what there's no way you can run a 567 gear at martinsville if you have a 454 you can mm. <laughs> so so I, that that was in an era remember when bobby uh protested richard and at charlotte motor speedway yes. and richard for having a big motor and big motors were like pretty easy to get by with at that time how i, I they they this old guy mr hyder i loved him to death but they pumped the same cylinder every week. I mean, he'd screw things, and that, you know. So they just paraffin in the cylinders, or, you know, that cylinder would be right and the rest of them would be wrong. Just just all kind of <laughs> yeah. tricky things that you could do because they knew that, Mr. Hyder, you're going to do the same one because it's only get too real easy with the headers and everything. Yeah. So that's how they ran the big motors. <laughs> and they ran them a lot. Oh, yeah. And uh, matter of fact, <laughs> they tried to run one. Well, they did win. They won in 80, what was that, 83? When Richard had the big motor at Charlotte? Yes. 83? And they caught him. Yeah. Mr. Hyder wasn't on the uh, no, no, no. Uh, on, on the business that well, day? It, 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 I think they'd have got away with it, but they put left. Barry Dotson was the crew chief, I think. <laughs> and they put left side tires on the right. Soft tires. So they had the left tires on the, on the right. They yeah. knew that in victory lane. And then I'll never forget, uh, Chief, uh, His, his, yeah. he's going down – pit lane saying i'm claiming 383 right now 383 <laughs> he said you don't have to tear it down it's a 383 and uh i'll never forget that and of course that was another whole story but uh humpy wheeler called me I, i'd gone junior mate the junior would matter in hell yeah he made he he, he made us load the car and go home and he left early because richard blew by me and won the race you know and he could not understand how that could happen but he did and uh, so i'm at the hotel and humpy wheeler calls me he says Stand by, you won this race. I said, Yes. I said, he said, Richard had a big motor left side of the ball. He told me all about it. I said, Cheating. I, I knew he was cheating. I knew it had to be. He couldn't drive by me like that if he wasn't doing something. So, anyway, they come on, and, and Bill Gasway, I think, was a, might have been Dick Beatty, but one of those guys. And they said they were going to let the win stand, and they were going to find him $30,000. Well, that's the difference between first and second. If I win, I would have gotten 30000 more, but I didn't. I finished second, so they took my $30,000 and paid his fine with it. Yeah. So, yeah. anyway, yeah. That's, that's another story. So, um, the 88 Gatorade team's kind of crumbling apart. Yeah. Uh, they've got it back together, and, and Bobby drives for them. Did yeah. you not tell Bobby when he goes to drive for Dygard what, what, what he was, was getting himself into? What was funny was, so, so well, we go. Donnie not tell Bobby. Donnie's yeah. the one that got fired yeah. before. So we go <laughs> yeah, to point. the to the bank on Monday morning with I had the three hundred thousand dollars, which was you think they're talking nineteen eighty. Yeah. Three hundred thousand dollars, a lot of money. So we go in, we sit down, we we sign all the papers, and we get ready to leave and Bill Gardner said, Whoa, 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 whoa. You owe me twenty five more thousand dollars. I said, For what? He said, Are you in the bush shoot are you in the bud shootout? Are you in the bush clash? I said, Yeah. He said well, you'll probably win it, and I want my half now. 
So I had to give him $25,000 more, $325,000. On the assumption that you were going to win and that was going to be the purse? Which I did, but (laughs) (laughs) he was right. But I've never heard that. I passed Benny on the the last lap on the apron. Benny was hot. Anyway, I won that race. Anyway, but when I got ready to leave, well, Ricky Rudd followed me. And Ricky Rudd was sitting in the the outside office there when I walked out. And I said, buddy, you won't last two years with that crowd. I said, good luck. And that was who took the car. Yeah. I think he drove it one year, maybe one two. One year, maybe, yeah. And then Bobby got in the car, and they won the championship. And Gary Nelson was a crew chief, and mm. Bobby and I became big rivals, and it was a mess. That, that was Bobby a, had the same sort of bad ending. On, you know, he got – when they brought Sax in trying to run a second yeah. car, and Bobby's like, uh, no, I don't – this ain't what we're doing. No. And uh, he ended up getting pissed and – Yeah, he did. Taking off. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll never forget uh, – Gardner was shrewd. I mean, he was just—he was a businessman. He was shrewd, uh, and so Robert Yates is the engine guy, and they're buying all this equipment for Robert to have for his engine room. And Robert's got a really nice equipment, really nice engine room, and it's all at Diegard. And uh, so the the deal uh, falls apart, and Robert's going to send ever the movers over to get his equipment because they had been taking money from him every month or every so ever how often it was to pay for the equipment so robert had bought the equipment he owned it but when they went to shut the deal down the bank wouldn't let robert have his equipment because it was under it was under some big umbrella uh loan policy and so robert ended up with nothing Ah, and and that's when robert went and started 2018 wow with uh davy and and uh he and his son and you know they did really well. Yeah, talking about uh, Bobby Allison <laughs> getting upset or getting frustrated with the sax car. So you were also and Dad certainly yeah. no none of y'all liked the idea of a two car team. Oh no, or a teammate. Why? No, because like well, all of us, I'll just say this. Like, and you may have become this way over time, but me and a lot of the guys that I race with, like. A teammates are a necessity teammates are you know you you lean on your teams and 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 try to make yourself better by watching them yeah but back then in the 80s yeah uh, D, uh junior johnson's gonna have a second car basically uh neil bonnet yeah. yeah yeah neil's gonna be uh but y'all were more competitive with that team yeah than oh, you yeah. were anybody else on the track oh junior was terrible the Neil Bonnet and Tim Brewer would be down there, and he'd go down there and rile them up, and he'd come up here and rile me and Hammond up, you know, that rivalry. But oh, the, he, he would rile up the, the two oh, teams? Yeah, he loved that, yeah. And, and what would he say to you to Oh, do he'd that? say, Neil's going to kick your ass. <laughs> <laughs> how do you figure that? <laughs> so, anyway, that's kind of how it went, you know. Yeah. And Brewer, you know how Brewer was. He's cocky anyway. I got a brand-new Rolex, got a pocket full of $100 bills, got a pair of rock ports. I'm doing good. Shag carpet on the wall. Anyway, <laughs> don't you, that's a whole other Listen, I like shag carpet, ain't. but I never put it on the wall. Oh, no. That, we used to get in those hotels, Bird. like the Pocono particularly, you get a honeymoon suite and have shag carpet <laughs> on the damn wall, you know, with a heart-shaped bathtub. <laughs> but anyway, it, it was just it was just a – it's just so different. And and the reason we didn't like teammates is because we didn't have enough parts. Oh. Like you'd have one set of cylinder heads mm, yeah. or you'd have one crankshaft. Or you'd have the one. carburetor. Yeah, I mean, you had a trick uh-huh. carburetor. You don't want the other guy to have it. And so it was. A, it wasn't like it is today, where everything you know, you build engines. You guess he gets out. He gets. Everybody gets the same thing. 
there wasn't any such thing at, back in the day as everybody gets the same thing. You had something special. You had a qualifying motor that was special. Well, where are we going to get another one? And that's why nobody liked teammates. You just didn't like sharing. You had all these ideas and setups and things that you did, and you don't want to share that with anybody. You don't want them to know what you were doing. You don't want them to be equal to you. If you, if you had an advantage some way, you wanted to keep it. How would that get resolved? Well, it usually didn't. Okay. But, but Rick – Rick was the first guy probably that I remember when I went to drive for Rick in, uh, in 86, uh, and he set us down. He set me down. He said, now, look, you're going to have teammates. Mm. That's the way we operate around here. If you can't deal with that, then you need to do something else. But were you, were you having to fight for parts at Hendrick Motorsports? It was Well, by then, things were starting to – there started to be multiple – you know, the pistons were more – the parts became more and more available. It wasn't a premium back in, oh, like no. at Junior but Johnson's. But in the, in the 70s and 80s, sure. uh, the early part of the 80s, I mean, you, you had things that were exclusively yours that you didn't want to let go of to let somebody else yeah. have that advantage. So – And there were times at, at Hendrick early on where the teammate stuff, you know, was a problem. Dad, or I'd say dad, but well, Rick had to get him on the floor. What what was yeah, the nature yeah. the of you and Neil and Bonnet? Milk meeting. Yeah, <laughs> what, what, and milk. How were you and Neil Bonnet as far as the relationship then? I mean, I, I, competitive, yes. I, yeah. I, I I understand the teammate dynamic, but Neil Bonnet seemed like to me what I've seen is the most likable guy out there. Is oh, that wrong? The best teammate you could have. Is that right? He, he he didn't have any. He wasn't on. He wasn't. He didn't have a big ego. Mm. Um, he was just a. He liked to race. He was a racer. I won. I mean, we ran. I won Nashville. Uh, in 85, I guess it was, I think it was, or 84. And uh, he passed me on the last lap of the race. You can't do that. Once you take the white flag, the field is frozen. And Neil passed me on the last lap and came back ahead of me, and they said he won the race. And and, and this was Junior. Now, one thing about Junior, you didn't, you know, rules are rules, and you play by the rules. And that, he was pretty strict about that. But so they said, no, you got passed. So Neil won the race. You ran second. I said, no way. We're going to protest. And Dick Beatty was the competition director then. Had the uh, caution come out? That was yeah, the, here's that what was happened. The rumor. Yeah, here's what happened. We're coming off a of turn four. Okay. I didn't. I stayed out because I didn't have – I had a second-place car. Neil had the best car. Mm-hmm. But they pitted, and they got two tires. Oh. So I stayed out. And so I got by some cars, and there was a little gap between me and Neil. But he was going to win that race if the caution didn't come out. But we're coming off turn four, and the caution comes out. So the white flag and the caution come out together. We're not in the last lap. We're coming to go into the last lap, but we're not in the last Mm -hmm. lap. And that's what Beatty couldn't get through his head, is that the caution came out, but he didn't think about the white flag came Mm -hmm. out with it. Mm-hmm. And so I was already crossed the line when the caution race came is over, and the race is over. But then it was a big mess. Yeah. So I, that night we protested and we went through the rule book and everything. And Beatty said, "I don't care what you say." Bonnet won the race, and and Junior don't care because he got both cards first and second. <laughs> what does he care? I leave that next morning to go to Milwaukee to run a, a bush race, and I get to the airport and there's a damn caravan waiting for me, and it's NASCAR people. And they said, "Look." Because I thought I would sue y'all. I said, I got proof. And I, what helped me that night was Channel 5, Hope Hines, my friend there, had a cameraman on the flag stand with Harold Kinder. 
So they're filming the last few laps of that race. And so you see me coming off turn four, and you see the yellow flag and the white flag come out together. And that's what made them change their mind or change that I did win that race. Evidence. Yeah. So we had had them. We knew we had them. I said, I'm going to sue you. Well, there's three wrecks that ho- coming to the white flag. Oh, so it I was think a mess. The tower was a, was confused because there was literally three was different wrecks: chaos. Richard Petty, Bobby was, Allison, tires blowing out, people <laughs> running over crap, you know, and crews are getting into so it what afterwards. They so that next day they said, "We're going to change it. You won the race, but don't say anything derogatory or don't say anything." Uh, I had them all the time. Let I us, knew I had this one in the back. <laughs> let us let us handle it. I gotcha. Said, I don't care what you do as long as I get the trophy. That's all I care. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, I bet that was uh, did wonders for Team Dynamics <laughs> in the, uh, that week. Uh, but Junior, Junior was writing it. He was on our side. I mean, he said, you know, DW won this race. And really? So, we're going we're gonna to protest. And he wants to sue him. That's protest up to him. Protest my own car. <laughs> All right. Hope you liked part one with Daryl Walter. Remember, next week on the Dale Jr. Download, part two of Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Daryl Waltrip's conversation. And let me tell you something, it's a doozy. But hey, this show ain't over yet. All right, Ask Junior. Okay, it's time for my favorite part of the show, Ask Junior, presented by Xfinity, proud partner of NASCAR and this podcast. It's time to hear the questions that you sent to Xfinity Racing on Twitter and in the chat. Daryl Waltrip has been our guest. He was in here for a couple hours awesome stuff it's going to be a two-part podcast so uh but also remember to watch the tv show version that's this wednesday right at 5 p.m 7 p.m 7 p.m keeps changing keeps jumping around right before uh, the awards show there's an awards show so uh right before that what awards show nascar, NASCAR, oh, NASCAR awards show yep it pre that's the pre-show right before uh their show that's cool huh. where are they having that uh, virtually, yeah. Somebody's <laughs> okay. living room. That's, that's Nashville. Nashville was fun last year. Can't wait till we can get back there. All right, so uh, you guys got the questions. I hope they're good questions. Let's go. Yep, our first question coming from Kyle Lawler. Uh, he caught his first taste of Lost Speedways, which aired in Canada on the History Channel, and it got him thinking. Do you have any Canadian tracks mapped out for future <laughs> visits? Hey, just do me a favor and share with all your friends up there in Canada that we're now on the History Channel with Lost Speedways. They've been wanting to figure out how to watch it. Uh, there's your there's your opportunity. What was the question? Uh, do you have any Canadian, Canadian tracks? Racing. Yep, Matthew. Mapped. What's the, what's the, what's our hurdle? Number one, well, right now we, we can't go across one. the we can't go across the border right now because of COVID. But right. we had one, we had uh, one we wanted to go that see. we want to go see, and that was the that was the problem. That was yeah. the problem. So uh, there it. are several in Canada that oh, yeah. we're interested. in. We have a lot of uh, we do we do uh, log tracks in Canada on the map. I don't. I mean, Kyle Rizak, our boy in Canada, is, there's is several, the man up there. Several right. hundred racetracks on our map that we we will uh, we'll be looking at. We certainly want to get up to Canada and uh, make that part of our Lost Speedways uh, catalog. We had a track in, uh, you know, that we wanted to, to, to yeah. put in the show but couldn't get across the border to be able to do it. And eventually, hopefully, we'll be able to get to tell its story. It's a pretty cool one. All right, we're getting a ton of questions about the next-gen test that they had yesterday at Charlotte yeah. um, on our YouTube chat here. So have you heard anything about it? Um, Nothing you- that anybody else hasn't heard on the, on the you know, Social media handles. Kurt Busch shared quite a bit about how he felt the car was going to be great. 
uh, Martin Tricks Jr. said the car drives really good. Um, I think that that would make a lot of sense to me. It, it, its component suspension and all the things that it has should make it drive better than what they got currently. I think Kurt Busch said they got to about three seconds faster than what they were running there in the car, the other car this year. But I looked at the uh, back straightaway chicane's a little funky because it's not quite all set up. So I think they're going through there a little faster than they typically would on a on a regular race weekend. But anyways. The car looks like it drives way better. Turning, steering, turning, changing directions. Uh, it seems to be more adaptable to a road course than uh, the current race car that we have. Our next question coming from Daniel Harper. Uh, Junior Motorsports keeps finding future champions and putting them in rides. Who's responsible for finding talent? What processes do you guys go through evaluating prospective drivers? It's all chance. You know, I... I um, I'd love to take credit for all of the guys that we've developed, but someone puts a bug in your ear somewhere. With uh, Martin Trix Jr., for example, Richie Gilmore came to me and said, there's a, um, there's a guy that I think uh, we need to take a look at. Uh, his dad was a racer up north, um, and I think this kid might have it, so keep an eye on him. You're going to be at a race. He's talking to me. He's like, you're going to be at a racetrack where he's racing in the support series, so pay attention to him. See what you think. And uh, we ended up, you know, putting a lot of effort into Truex and getting him going at, at DEI. Um, with Brad Kozlowski, I'd raced against Brad and, and, and recognized his talent myself uh, when he ran that truck uh, the, for Jimmy. What was his name? The two truck. I, uh, Jimmy, Smith. Jimmy Smith, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I wasn't paying attention because DW and, and Robert G are right outside <laughs> the window. <laughs> That's hard to, yeah. I know. So, um, with with Keselowski, you know, he, he drives that truck, and I I called Kelly right after that. I said, look, we're looking for a driver. We, this is the guy. We got to hire him. Somebody else is going to be calling him in the next couple of days. It Let's not lose this opportunity. Uh, so, he struck as fast as we could. Brad didn't realize that we wanted him as bad as we did, uh, or he could have played a little hardball with us. But, um, you know, it all, it's all different. Every situation and scenario is different, but. It's fun. It's fun to bring in young guys and, and, and try to develop them. And sometimes they work out. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just don't work out. I think most people who listen to the show will agree that this segment's too short. It goes by too fast, Mike. Fast. It's right. Just like Xfinity Internet fast. Xfinity X5. That's the, that's the good stuff. Yes. It keeps me connected with great speed. I'm a customer. Uh, I pay for the service. I know how it works, how good it is. There's no better way to stay up to speed with NASCAR and Dirty Mode Media. That's right. Remember, everybody, Dale Jr. is here every week to answer your questions in this segment. It's his favorite segment. We do it live on YouTube. So hit him up at Xfinity Racing on Twitter using the hashtag AskJunior for a chance to hear from Dale himself. A big thanks to Xfinity for being a premier partner of NASCAR. All right, y'all, that's the end of the show. Well, we got last call. Mike, take it away. Last call. I want to remind everybody, the Dale Jr. Download on NBC Sports Network this week is going to be Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. That, again, is 7 p.m. Eastern Time this Wednesday. It's actually going to uh, precede the awards banquet or the awards uh, show, which is very cool for us. So, hopefully, I know that the later start time is actually better for me to watch it. Uh. So, I'm looking forward to that uh, rather than 5 p.m. when we're still working. But this is at 7 p.m. Wednesday, and it is going to be worth your time to watch it because I know with the conversation with DW, I can only imagine 
what Trina and Goodwin are working on with the, the visuals and the, uh, archi- uh, the uh, archive footage and stuff. It's going to be fantastic. Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time on NBC Sports Network. Uh, listen, door bumper clear. Well, they ta- after that, let's talk about after that, Mike. You, you, did you see what's app? Did you look at the TV guide and see what's after it? After the after show? After the uh, banquet. After the banquet? Are yeah. they re-airing? No. We're, they're going to have on NBCSN a, like, marathon of Lost Speedways. Oh, so for you night owls, cool. we're after gonna the banquet, have to pull man. an all nighter. Oh yeah, I might so, drink some beer and watch these damn. Do things. you think they're, they're going to show the full season? It looks like there's like uh, five, six episodes. Well, that's, or I mean, if you're going to show five season. or six, you might as well go with all eight, right? So if you haven't seen it, you know, on Peacock, which are the full episodes, Peacock. the little cut down episodes are on NBCSN and will be after the uh, banquet. So uh, what, a, what a night. Dell wow. Jr. Download, Banquet, and Lost Speedways. Wednesday yeah. night's going to be a good night for Dirty Mo Media uh, <laughs> because you got the DW episode airing before the banquet, and then after the banquet you got Lost Speedways uh, just kind of picking them up and yep. putting them down one after another. Six episodes. Six till, episodes. Till one, or till 12.30 a.m. That's cool. That's very cool. And NBC Sports Network has been airing the crap out of uh, those episodes, <laughs> those Lost Speedway things. So that's cool. Hey, speaking of Lost Speedways, uh, I saw this week where the History Channel in Canada alone is going to air Lost Speedways, which is awesome because Canada, our friends in Canada, cannot fine. access the Peacock Network. And so, therefore, they haven't seen Lost Speedways, but that's all changing this week. Is that right? That's right. The first episode aired Sunday night, and our Twitter blew up that's awesome. with people talking about how excited they were and how great it was. So Love there's it. more to come on there. Love it. That's going to be fantastic. So uh, that's on the History Channel in Canada. And so that's it, guys. Thank you so much. This will be a two-parter. We just had a great time with DW. So much there that next week we will have a podcast. It will not be on the TV. It won't be a TV show. Next week, the Dale Jr. Download podcast. Check your inboxes. And wherever you get podcasts, you will definitely, definitely want to hear the rest of this DW conversation. It is fantastic. And so that's it for today. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. This bit of badassery was badassery was made by badassery. Dirty Mo Media. Dirty Mo.